Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I am your host, Doug Stewart, but for today's episode, I and Dr. Norman Horn are going to be the guest on the Counterflow podcast, which we did a few weeks ago with Buck Johnson. We had a great conversation about a lot of important questions, partly about faith-seeking freedom, but this was uh, from somebody who had just recently read our book, had some fun things to ask us, some challenging things, and we just really thought you would enjoy the content of the episode. So enjoy. With me today, Norman Horn and Doug Stewart. Welcome both of you guys to the show. Hey, thanks, man. It's good to be here with you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having us on. So... We're going to talk about this book. Oddly enough, I'm, I'm listening to the book, the audio book version, and I recognize the voices. And it's, it's like I have two friends talking in my ears. It's, it's, uh, it's my producer, Chris Williams, reading it, along with the ad sales guy for the Renegade Media Network, my friend Bobby Pearson. So it's, it's neat to hear them doing it. Oh, um, it's not the devil on your right and the angel on the left? Oh, okay. So if you was- only knew, it actually, <laughs> it might actually be that. So um, you guys have never been on my show before. And when that happens, I like to have the guests, in this case, guests, uh, give a quick intro on, on who they are, what they do. And uh, I'll ask about the LCI, the Libertarian Christian Institute as well. But Norman, why don't you start off with uh, a little intro about yourself? Oh, sure. Well, uh, so... My background is uh, is really as a scientist and engineer and a lifelong Christian as well. So I grew up in Austin, Texas, and where I that's where I kind of became a libertarian, even as a as a young grad student uh, about 16 years ago, and got started in it just by reading, you know, like articles from the Mises Institute by like, well, pretty much, you know, who you'd expect: Murray Rothbard, Ludwig von Mises, Friedrich Hayek, and and others, of course. And uh, just got really fell in love with the ideas of uh, Austrian economics, which led me into just deeper and deeper study of libertarianism. Over time, that really evolved into under, a greater understanding theologically of, uh, of what was going on, uh, you know, regarding the intersections of liberty and Christian ideas and Christian theology. And so that kind of evolved into starting something called libertarianchristians.com, which got an, a nice uh, bit of attention at first from some of our good friends, like people like Tom Woods, Lou Rockwell and others, and uh, and that got an, a little bit of instant publicity there as a result, and it just kind of kept steamrolling. Got Doug involved a couple of years later, and then we uh, turned that into the Libertarian Christian Institute. In uh, in I guess we incorporated it as a five hundred one c three nonprofit in twenty fifteen, and so that was that was really exciting, of course. And then we've just been growing ever since, and just doing the best we can to talk about these intersections of faith and freedom, and doing the best we can. Of of just promoting the ideas of a free society to the modern church today. When were you last in Austin? Even uh, visiting, even visiting. Well, so, uh, so, okay. Actually, it would have been <laughs> in July. Okay. <laughs> I, I came down, I was there just for a couple of days. I don't really want to give all the details as to why, but I was there. I was also there in the height of, of uh, lockdown COVID land, actually in May 2020 as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was specifically for testing and stuff with my main job. Have you noticed how much, let's see, 
how much flack you would get now in Austin for being a libertarian versus back in, like you said, 16 years ago? Have you noticed a difference in the political climate in that sense? Uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, the biggest thing that I noticed in terms of just changes in Austin beyond just the skyline itself was mm-hmm. uh, the tent camps, yes. quite frankly, which is really, really sad. Yeah. I mean, just going, you know, driving in and uh, going up 290 to mm-hmm. going toward 360 and whatnot. Oh my gosh, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And mm-hmm. every every single overpass had a tent camp underneath. And it's just like, what is, what is this looks like San Francisco. What is going yeah. on here? That's really sad because it didn't used to be like that. Right. And uh, so that's disturbing in, in a number of respects. And, you know, that was the biggest change. I, you know, geez, like back in the day, I mean, it was funny in the church and 15 or 16 years ago, I literally got the, you know, the, the response at one point, like, so you're a libertarian. Does that mean you vote for the green party? That was reality 15 or 20 years ago for us in the libertarian (laughs) movement at times. And I mean, it's like, obviously it's a little distance from that, but you kind of want to go Luke Skywalker on him from last Jedi and say, you know, every word in that sentence was wrong. Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) and there has been a substantial change since then. You know, I don't know as much about what's happening in Austin there, other than from my my great friend Jason Rink, who's on our board and uh, is is involved in the libertarian community, broadly speaking. And uh, but like, I I don't know exactly what's going on so much anymore uh, in the in the city itself. I have tried to stay much more abreast of what's really happening in the church at large, and that's mm. been interesting, of course. Well, Doug, we can't forget you in this introduction phase. Talk about who you are, what you do, and and what led you to all of this. Yeah, so right now I am a part-time CEO at the Libertarian Christian Institute. My my day job, like Norman, we also have day jobs. uh, Mm -hmm. As I do, uh, I run a small video production company in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, as well as a web design company, and I do a few other things as well. And so let's see, my story getting into libertarianism, I mean, I grew up a Christian in a Christian, conservative Christian family, sort of the red country mindset, uh, conservative mindset in the church. And when I was just a little bit out of college, um, going into seminary, I, I became a libertarian. Here's the, here's the provocative way to put it. I became a libertarian because I was interested in social justice. And what happened was (laughs) I realized that I realized that the, the left just had all the wrong answers. Mm. And I was like, Hmm, you know what, if there's going to be any sense of social answers to like what is unsocially unjust, uh, I need to study some economics because I had no interest in economics in high school or in college and take any of it. And I stumbled into the Austrian School of Economics, uh, started with a Bob Murphy book, ended up landing on Ron Paul because of I used to listen to Glenn Beck and Ron Paul was always on about the financial economy stuff for Glenn Beck. That was the one thing that Glenn Beck had him on for. So that's what sort of led me into it. And then, of course, Norman beat me to libertarianchristians.com domain name by about three months. So, wow, yeah, it might have been a different story had I had I registered for that domain before him. But uh, (laughs) anyway, he, he was just a little bit ahead of the curve. But anyway, no, we joined forces a few years after that, which is around 2010. And so I was part of the community there. And then when we incorporated in 2015, I was on the board and, you know, eventually now the CEO, keeping the content train going. Let me ask this. I, I was going to ask this towards the end, but it just popped and I, I have to now yeah. because I'm so curious. With what you guys do at the Libertarian Christian Institute, do you find it harder to convince your average libertarian on the importance of Christianity? or harder to convince the average Christian on the virtues of libertarianism? Norman, I'll let you take that. 
I would say that the the latter, that educating the Christian is harder because just there's so much entrenched ideas amongst both the Christian right and the Christian left as to how a, an, especially an American Christendom, I should say, mm-hmm. and how we are to understand the political arena. Whereas the libertarian is already, we're already like kind of talking the same language with regards to the problems of power and economics and so on. And really it is, if they have a misconception about Christians in the first place, it's something like, well, aren't Christians just all like this? And you say, no, in fact, that's not the case. And in fact, it's actually something entirely different. And here's what, here's what the reality needs to be. And like, we're accepting of you in terms of, you know, we can, if we can interact peaceably together, then we're good. Right. And they're like, Oh yeah, I guess that's right. Okay. We're cool. And that often, (laughs) that often more often than not, I should say happens. There is a, a, a bit of a, a militant side to some, yeah. but I'd say that their voices are just particularly loud and not particularly numerous. Do you think that there's an atheist problem within libertarian movement at large? Mm, I, not exactly. I wouldn't, like, I don't want to put it as, like, you know, to say yes and then, oh, well, what, how it, the, the atheist problem is X or something like that. I, I, I would say that we're, you know, fundamentally we are against things like, you know, materialism and, okay. and, and against secularism per se, but that's as Christians. Right. And even as Christians, we, even if we're against certain things, that doesn't mean that we want to, you know, uh, clearly we can, and we are committed to not initiating force against others because it's not part of our belief system to be, to be forcing others into our way of being. And so I, I don't think that there's, you know, a, a particular atheist problem in the sense of, you know, that in the sense that there is a something that is necessarily needing to be opposed, driven out of the movement or something. Does that make sense? I think that that's kind of where I want to go with it. I don't want to live in a, you know, in a world where, you know, Stefan Kinsella, who's a good friend of mine and who's a staunch atheist yes. and I can't get along. Like that's, okay. that's crazy. I wouldn't want that. And, and he, neither does he. So, you know, if I can be, you know, in fellowship per se with this guy, you know, Norman Stefan Kinsella and talk about IP and talk about this, that, and the other whatnot, he's a great friend of mine. Uh, like that's not, I mean, I would be a co- totally against people trying to go off on him or something like that because he's being an atheist or something like that. Sure. Like, sure. Nah, I'm not, not interested in that. You know, Doug, your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's interesting. You call it like I know you're just posing a question, but like the an atheist problem. I'm just like, well, no, not really. I mean, the only thing that I would say, you know, after other than echoing Norman, as I would add, it's like, well, maybe if there's libertarians who say that you can't be a libertarian if you believe in a god or if you believe in the Christian god, and mm-hmm. you know, of course, we would say, well, no, just read your Bible and and just take a look at our book. <laughs> we can explain to you why. Mm-hmm. We can explain to you why being a libertarian is is fundamental to being a good Christian. And, you know, their experience then would, of Christianity is probably a little bit off. So, no, I don't, I don't think there, there is a problem there. So, this is another thing I want to get to because the word libertarian has been so abused and, and bastardized, uh, you might say. Mm. For the people listening that either refuse to call themselves that anymore, or my, I've got a lot, kind of a wide variety of, of listeners here that are still maybe unclear on what exactly that means. Let's get with you uh, first, Doug. What does libertarianism mean to you? 
Yeah, well, there's there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind. I mean, part of it is libertarianism orientation toward individual liberty, so that you know the greatest number of people in the greatest possible way can have individual freedom and freedom of choice uh, within the non-aggression principle. And so that's sort of like a foundational aspect to it. So if you are in favor of giving more people more individual liberty, I would say you can call yourself a libertarian, you can call yourself a conservative, you can call yourself whatever you want, but like you're kind of in my favor, if you will. Now there, of course, there's the philosophical, like, hey, here's what defines what a libertarian is. And there's, you know, there's the the thick and thin argument. There's the like, well, how, how big are your parameters? Who do you include? I know they're, you know, the old joke about if you put 11 libertarians in the room, there's only, you know, there's there's only one there's only one thing they all agree on is that there's only one libertarian in the room mm-hmm. uh, and it's all them right <laughs> so i mean that's you know it's that's almost an old joke so to me it's more about a way of thinking and a way of treating others it's one of those ways that we can love our neighbor as ourselves mm-hmm. and and so for me it's like well why would i why would i care what you're doing other than when you're aggressing upon someone else Right. And so that's kind of the way, you know, what libertarianism means to me, if you want to, if, we, if we're going to ask it that way. Norman, would you add anything to that? The focus on the non-aggression principle is, is absolutely certain in, in, our, in our definition of what a libertarian is. And I, I think that that's really what, you know, what it comes down to. And that if people are wanting to reject the name libertarian for some strange strategic reason, it's like, oh, okay, fine. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the definition. Mm-hmm. So like the definition being that we are against aggression. Great. And that means maximum liberty as a result. Great. And and as Christians, and why we call ourselves the Libertarian Christian Institute is because we also believe that that is convergent with or congruent with or concordant with the bulk of Christian theology. And that's crucial to who we are in particular. Mm-hmm. The, the golden rule is, is applicable here to us is that if we were to do unto others as we would want to be treated, and the other side of that coin is don't do to others what you don't want done to you. And so that's, to me, like that's what, that's the only way to kind of expand upon what Doug says is that, you know, we, we definitionally, it's about aggression. Mm-hmm. We oppose it. That's the reality. So You kind of alluded to it there. Basically, what this book is about that we're going to be talking about is that you want Christians and libertarians to kind of see like this, looking at each other, this is the philosophy for me, this is the religion for me. Let me also, how would you classify your religion, Norman? Is there oh, a like denomination-wise? Yeah. Yeah, so I've been a lifelong member of the Churches of Christ in the, okay. stone, the what we call the Stone Campbell Restorationist Movement. We talked about that. We talk about that frequently on the on the podcast and uh, and on and in various articles and whatnot. So there's a really interesting, actually, like kind of liberty history, even within the Churches of Christ. Doug? Well, I'm going to borrow Mike Meharry's uh, phraseology for himself, and he says he's a theological mutt uh, because he grew up in all these different things. <laughs> I, I, I grew up like a conservative, conservative Baptist, and I go to an evangelical free church, which is not very helpful in the name because you don't want you want to, is it free of evangelicals or is it a free evangelicals, you know? Um, but it, it was they're basically part, a, they an they anti-state church bin. orientation. <laughs> yeah, they came from the bargain. They were with your whiskey, uh, they were with your whiskey, people Norman. want to get a sort of frame of mind about where I am, probably somewhere like Anabaptist slash Anglican, but that's just theologically, <laughs> I guess, more so than anything. All right. All you right. always get a different Maybe answer like every other week with Doug. So, you know, it's like this one... <laughs> 
So let's give an elevator pitch as to why libertarianism is the best political philosophy for those who consider themselves Christians. Norman? All right. It's very simply that it is the most consistent way in which a Christian can express political ideas. If you claim to be a Christian and one who is to love his enemies, practice the golden rule, pray for those who persecute them and all that, then there's really only one political philosophy that makes sense for you. And that is the libertarian way of thinking. Now, that, mm. is, that is kind of the culmination of a whole lot of different stuff that's occurred over Christian history in many respects. It's not like libertarianism you know, existed in the first century or something like that. But even then, in the first century, following the death and re burial resurrection of Christ and the early church, they were practicing ideas of nonviolence, of trying to treat other people with dignity and respect. And that has leavened the course of human history ever since. And I think that politically, the way that we kind of think about this is that as we are trying to solve conflicts with one another over scarce resources in general, that the best way we can, we can kind of understand how to do this is the application of property rights and the application of homesteading principle and the application of these libertarian ideas. That mm -hmm. kind of culminates in the philosophy that we call libertarianism. And so, and so there's really no other way to me that makes ultimate sense in kind of how to express a political philosophy consistently without using libertarian ideas if you're to claim and practice Christian theology consistently as well. Would the libertarian part be strictly then for discussions on involving politics? Because if they are so similar and you define yourself as a Christian, really that's all you would need. And it might manifest itself through certain policies that you like or dislike when you get to politics, but it almost would seem that the libertarian part, maybe other than a strict discussion of politics, it would be irrelevant. Uh, so it's kind of like, if you look at, think about it like a Venn diagram of such, there are plenty of things in Christianity that have nothing to do with politics. And in fact, mm -hmm. we should be thankful for the fact that yes. most of our lives yeah. uh, is not having to do with politics. Thank the Lord for that. Uh, but in the limited set of things, <laughs> that have to do with political discussions and whatnot. And we have to figure out ways of dealing with these elements of like, difficult life together where we don't have close relations. And so we need to figure out ways of resolving conflicts that don't result in utter bloodshed all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's where libertarian ideas make the best sense. And that's, and to see how that intersects with Christian theology in various ways is very useful. It helps us to understand why, for instance, then that the divine, that ultimately like divine right of kings ideas are, you know, garbage and so on and so forth. And why communism is a bad idea and communism just somehow practiced in the context of, you know, Christian thought or whatever is like, no, nope, that doesn't work either. And, and here's why, <laughs> as the Puritans yeah. kind of figured out when they immigrated to America <laughs> years and years ago. And so I think that it's just those kind of congruent lines are helpful but in, 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 in as much as they relate to kind of ethical considerations, that's where we see that congruence really, you know, come together. But the basic ideas as well, as, the, as they flow out of kind of natural law, if you will, are things that are, as, are, are of akin to like mathematics or, uh, or logic as opposed to some type of, you know, deeply revealed, you know, secret knowledge or something like that. It's nothing, there's nothing secret about it per se. We're not some sort of neo-Gnosticism freakish cult here or whatever that's, that's trying to reinvent Christian theology. That would be, I think, how I'd mm. best answer where you're, where you're coming from with that question there. Okay. Doug, any thoughts on that? Well, one of, the, one of the names for Jesus in the Bible is Prince of Peace. And one of the major threads throughout the scripture is uh, anti-state or anti-empire. 
And it is a very important thread. And this is where that whole social justice thing came in for me. I'm like, wait a second. The Bible is very much against this idea of empire that controls and dominates and is centralized and basically oppresses. And Jesus came to liberate. And the whole thread and theme of all of these things throughout the scripture is that we are to be against that which dominates. And the state is, of course, not only explicitly the thing to be against in the scriptures, it also is still present with us now that we are to be against. So in terms of living out, you know, you said something about, you know, isn't the Christian aspect of it like enough to sort of talk about this? In some ways, I kind of agree. It's like, well, if you are a Christian, you are living in contradiction to the state because you are telling the state, Jesus is Lord and Caesar, you, the state, are not. Those who can see us on YouTube uh, can see that I'm wearing a hat that says, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is crossed out, which is something that we kind of lose when, when, when we say that as Christians today, that Jesus is Lord. It's kind of this private religious experience that we're kind of referring to. But in the first century, this was essentially a um, let's go Brandon to the mm. Caesar kind of moment. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Very well done. Yeah. I had to work that in somehow. That's an original mm-hmm. dog. Yes. It's got a touch, just enough boomerism to that that I like it. It's perfect. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> minor, no. boomer, minor boomerism? Yeah, just a little bit. Let's talk about some of the questions that you guys tackle in the book. There's a lot of them. And like I said, if my listeners out there get the audiobook version of this, you'll hear my good friend Bobby reading the question. And then, of course, my producer Chris answering the questions. And, uh, I'm glad you guys tackled this early on in the book because it's so, I'm so tired of seeing the lefties I know pull <laughs> this old line out. And I, you probably know where I'm going with this is that Jesus <laughs> was a socialist. Um, so <laughs> I know you guys have seen it a lot. You talk about it, in the, uh, oh yeah, you talk about it, you write about it in this book. Let's tackle this one right off the bat. Uh, Doug, you, whoever really wants to take this one, I'll let you go for it. <laughs> Oh, we're going to fight over who who, oh, who goes no. for it. Was, was <laughs> Jesus a socialist? I, I think this is, the, the funny thing about this question to me is that I see these like left-leaning Christians put up memes about what Jesus did. Like he gave them free healthcare and yes. uh, you know, by healing them and all of this. And I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, this yeah. is ridiculous. Like, this is the kind of mindset that we've, we've sunk to when we do Christian theology. It's like, well, because Jesus wanted us to treat each yes. other with dignity and take care of each other. And he told stories about, an individual using his own resources to help a guy on the other side of the road, the Good Samaritan, that Jesus was a social... If socialist means Jesus wants us all to help our neighbor out of our own free will, then sure, but that's not at all what socialism is. Yeah. And so the Bible is just chock full of, of Jesus calling people who want to follow him. Uh, and, and I would say this, there is a call to everybody, I think, that Jesus makes to follow him, okay? And so it is the individual's choice to actually say, you know what? I think what you've got to say, Lord, is is worth following, and I'm going to trust you and put my allegiance in you, not Caesar, and then I'm going to walk a certain way. And that way does include helping those in need. Somehow there's that big gap between that and the government has to do it, you know? And that's the leap that leftists tend to make. It's like, well, okay, well, if Jesus wants people to do it, And I think in their mind, it's more like, well, if the government does it, I think Barack Obama said the government's just a shorthand way of saying things we do together or something like that. (laughs) Um, I mean, if that's their mindset, 
That's called then equivocation. Then of course they're going to think that they're. Well, yeah, I know. If that's their mindset, then I can I can see why they make that connection. But you know, as Murray Rothbard points out in the Anatomy of the State, like this is not the state is not that. And if I could say anything to leftist Christians, their theologians do a really good job of pointing out empire in scripture, but they are completely blinded to the fact that the goals that they have for society completely depend on the empire, on Leviathan, that they all theologically eschew already. Yeah, it's completely insane. I really don't understand how it's necessary to write, like, I love Larry Reed's little book, you know, Was Jesus a Socialist? That is it's spot on. It's great stuff. But I kind of don't understand why it needs to be written on some level because mm. it's just so crazy when you think about it. Because at no point, now again, this kind of comes down to what's the definition of socialism, all right? Let's, let's, let us recall the definition of socialism. It is the means of production being owned by the state apparatus. At any point in Jesus's theological musings, in any point of his teachings, at any point, did he point to Rome and say, you know what? Everybody's capital, everybody's resources needs to be controlled by Rome. It's the only way this is going to work, guys. Come on. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? So if somehow, as like Doug's saying, if somehow we're supposed to interpret, you know, Jesus as saying, you know, you should help other people as, you know what? Point guns at other people and force them to go help these other folks over on this other point. And it's like, come on, come on, man! Yeah. As mm-hmm. uh, as as is uh, one of the <laughs> our more recent dictators' famous phrases at this point. <laughs> yeah. Hi, this is Carrie Baldwin, and if you like the Libertarian Christian podcast, you'll like our other podcast, Good News, Bad News, a roundtable where you can join me, Matt, Norman, Doug. Aaron, and others analyze the news from a libertarian Christian perspective. Check us out on YouTube, your favorite podcast app, or on libertarianchristians.com slash roundtable. There's this one topic that's rarely ever heated within libertarian circles or any circles. It's just abortion, right? So that is funny. You know, that's obviously a topic that politically people argue about constantly, I have so many thoughts on this. You know, I, I, I joked with someone the other day uh, that the left now loves corporations and they, they believe that they should be able to dictate to their employees their medical decisions on regarding the vaccine. And boy, could you imagine if they were only dictating that a, a woman that was employed there couldn't get an abortion? Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. See the tide turn once again. But... That's a whole nother COVID has turned our world upside down, Buck. Have you, have you, haven't you heard? All the conservatives are pro-choice and all the leftists yes. are pro-life. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. But even <laughs> just it, in a completely different way. Throughout the years in libertarianism, abortion has been kind of a hot topic. You know, Rothbard had a certain view on it. And so many famous figures from our movement can disagree on this topic. I want to ask you about it. Just as another aside, I, when I was trying to convince normies to vote for Ron Paul in 08 and 12, they'd look in, they oh, I like <laughs> this. It sounds this. funny when people say that, you know, to me. It's like <laughs> normies, yeah. normies, you know. It's like, oh, gotcha. That's usually what the cute chicks call me, you know. Yeah, oh, just very kidding. well done. Just oh kidding, gosh. just kidding. <laughs> All right, normie. Um, <laughs> okay, boomer. Yeah. They would go down his list of, uh, his basically his platform, and they go, he's so great. Oh my God, he's pro-life though. <laughs> I always thought like, <laughs> that's the thing that's like, like that tears that's you apart. Your issue? Yeah, okay. He's anti-war. The Federal Reserve is is messing everything up. But yeah. oh, wow. Okay. Um, let's that talk was an about- asset for all of our friends, Buck. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. For, for me, convincing our conservative friends, that was an asset. You know what wasn't? Sorry, this isn't about Ron Paul right now, but like what wasn't an asset was, wait, he wants to bring the troops home? Isn't that like, crazy? Oh, yeah. It's, it, it did make for a wonderful uh, few years. The Ron Paul years were fantastic, but that's for perhaps <laughs> another story. So Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about abortion. Uh, yeah. How can the Christian view of abortion sync up with libertarianism? I, I think, you know, the first, first off, one thing to, that we need to note is that despite there ha- the, the fact that there have been pro-abortion advocates in libertarianism's history, there have equally been just as many pro-life people. And it just goes to show, again, like we kind of talked about earlier, that there's a lot of arguing that goes on in libertarianism. And so it is not intuitively obvious right off the bat that the non-aggression principle should exclude abortion, Okay. But when we start parsing it out and we start working through the philosophy, and to libertarian uh, libertarians' credit, the fact that we're willing to argue about this in a respectful manner to each other, and sometimes maybe not necessarily respectful, but at least we're adamant about, about exploring the principles correctly and, and trying to understand the implications therein and really, really caring about that, then I would say that for those of you who are on the pro-life stance already, then libertarianism should be about as good as you could possibly get for a philosophy that has the potential to really put on solid ground the pro-life stance, okay? Because once we get there and people accept that, then it's going to be, then like it becomes almost a plank at that point. So yes, there's work to be done there. And what is that work? Well, it is trying to understand better how the non-aggression principle works its way in here. So, you know, first of all, I think that uh, I should, I want to point out here that everything I'm about to say is probably going to be better said by our, uh, one of our co-authors in the book, Carrie Baldwin, yes. who, who did write the particular chapter here is chapter 11. What about abortion? Carrie yes. Baldwin, uh, has, has done tremendous work in writing up the best arguments that I've seen, uh, with respect to abortion. She's also debated the eminent Walter Block, who we have great respect for, even mm-hmm. though we disagree with him on the topic of evictionism and whatnot. Yes. And, foundational to Carrie's argument is this. Non-aggression is, is about respecting the rights of individuals. And, you know, fundamentally, a, a fetus that has been conceived is, is, in a sense, an invited guest and, and has and contains within itself individual rights. Now, if we care about supporting individual rights and also the individual rights of the mother in the same, at the same time, Promoting abortion is actually not a life-affirming option either for the fetus or for the mother. And that in order to better, uh, we have better options for getting rid of abortion than just trying to say, well, let's just strike it down in Supreme Court. Let's just strike it down in law or something. But there are more life-affirming options out there that will both reduce abortions in the, in the first place, which is kind of the goal here, even for those who are pro-abortion. I think on some level, you don't want to see it happen. Right. But more importantly, you know, affirming the rights of both individuals at that at that point. And that's laid out more comprehensively in the book for sure. But I hope mm-hmm. that that's at least kind of a taste of what's in store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's get to, there's a section towards the end, and I, I know I'm mm-hmm. skipping some, but we'll, we'll kind of jump around. It's one of my favorite ones, Christian Misconceptions of Libertarianism. <laughs> and, and because it's just, you know, we've all dealt with just misconceptions of libertarianism oh, yeah. throughout the years. There's it happens all the time, like you mentioned earlier. So you vote for someone in the Green Party, okay? Yeah. To be fair, and what's fun, I wrote most of that section too. So like, all right, <laughs> you hit on one that's always out there, and I hear libertarians 
say this too, and it drives me crazy. So libertarianism, that just means you don't like authority, right? No authority. That's, that's what you guys are for. Can you talk about that, please? <laughs> you know, I, I think proper views of authority don't have to be domination structures. Mm-hmm. That what we are against is not the idea of authority itself, but the idea of aggression being part of an authority structure. My parents or my elders at my church or, or, or even, my, even my boss, they do have some measure of positional authority that I have voluntarily agreed to. But more, more than that, real authority, real, real power in the kind of the Christian sense of power is, is actually like personal based. In that because I know that these people, and I'm serious even when I talk about like my, my boss, even at work, you know, when I know that these people who, are, who do have positional, a form of positional authority also have my best interests at heart, and I'm voluntarily in relationship with them in order to make all of us better, then it is, then authority is no problem anymore mm-hmm. because we're all working together toward kind of common goals, if you will. And that when we do disagree, we, have, we can have, you know, kind of an adult conversation about it to where it's not merely just acquiescence at all costs, but rather that we want to make sure that that trust structure is, is well in place in order to, to do good things together. That, that all of that together means that we don't have to be afraid of the idea of authority. Authority comes in a bunch of different shapes and sizes, if you will. It doesn't have to be coinciding with aggression all the time. And so I would, I would say that the, the kind of the left libertarians uh, mm. perspective at times, which has been very just anti-authority in general, and it's yes. one thing to be anti-authoritarian, it's another to be anti-authority, period, is, as I think, is a bit fallacious. And that we have opportunities based on the division of labor, based on the recognition of experience, based on the trust that we have between individuals that allow for varying forms of authority to take place without aggressing against individual rights. And I, I think there's probably an unfortunate reality that a lot of the voices within the liberty world that, that are seem to be more prevalent to, again, an, a normie, if you will, they do promote certain lifestyles and libertinism to a certain extent because mm-hmm. I've heard Christians tell me, oh, so libertarianism is kind of like maybe a little bit conservative, but just having yeah. uh, a lifestyle that you're you're good with anything out there kind of thing. And, and libertine is thrown mm-hmm. around a lot. Do you guys see that that's kind of an unfortunate problem in our circles? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you, people can get that impression is that like, well, people just want to go smoke weed or just like do whatever they want. And like, there's no sort of like care in the world. And I and I guess that's sort of a, an unwanted side effect to some extent. But, mm-hmm. you know, the way that I try to bring that conversation back is like, look, we're the kind of people who says that everybody should treat each other with equal respect, regardless of your choices. And that that's how other people should treat us. Like the kind of it's kind of a like don't tread on anyone sort of attitude. So it really is about like, you know, maybe I don't want you buck to smoke pot this weekend, but I'm not gonna call the cops on you. Mm-hmm. Right. Like even if I don't <laughs> want unless you're somehow unless somehow that's aggressing on me because whatever, if I'm your neighbor and I mean there could be all those kinds of issues, I suppose. But there's no like moral authority that I have to say I need cops to come beat down your door because you're doing something I don't like. Um, right. that's not harmful. I think part of it too, over the years, there's been this kind of pop culture tendency, even within libertarianism, to want to appeal to the left a little bit because that's who runs everything that's popular, that's pop <laughs> culture. So if you lead mm-hmm. with, well, we want to legalize drugs, and you lead with that kind of thing, maybe sometimes people feel like, well, 
I'll be kind of in the cool kid gang if I kind of lead with these things. We're, you know, anti-war is good, but it's anti-war and we're, we're for legalizing all drugs, you know, and then you like sneak away and we also don't like Obamacare. Shh. Um, <laughs> so, let's see. There's a statement in this book and I love it. And I think really libertarians need to hear this more often. Libertarianism does not purport to be the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Can you please go into that a little bit? That's really, really important. And I, I think, again, libertarians themselves need to understand that as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's as simple as this. It is not a comprehensive worldview. Libertarianism does not have the answer to life, the universe, and everything. It addresses a very specific set of topics on how we can interact with each other in better and more positive ways. But it doesn't even, it doesn't even answer all the types of questions that could come into that. We need to be careful and not try to overextend uh, that which we do find very compelling and important, you know, the libertarian philosophy, into areas where it doesn't need to be. Yes. You know, and I think Christians should be able to understand this that even like amongst us thinking Christians out there, you know, my, my father-in-law, we were, my father-in-law and I are from different denominational backgrounds, but I love this particular phrase that he taught me years and years ago where he's, he likes to say, you know, the Bible doesn't teach you to make a cake. All right. I mean, the Bible is, is wonderful for explaining a whole lot of different stuff about human existence, but you know, it doesn't teach you how to bake a cake. And likewise, you know, libertarianism explains a lot of important aspects about the way in which we should be interacting with each other in a political basis. But it doesn't teach you how to, you know, solve all the problems of the world. It doesn't tell you, like, okay, it, it might tell you, for instance, that, you know, the state's not going to be able to solve pro poverty. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to just tell you, well, here are the steps it's going to take in order to get there, you know, in reality. You know, we know that it's going to be capitalism and production that's going to do it, but it's not doesn't tell you, how, you know, how how Norman Horn should go into his business and manage all of his salespeople in order to alleviate poverty or something. Mm -hmm. like that. It doesn't do that, and that's not the way it works. I, so I think Christians and libertarians should be be able to understand this to, to each other. And the fact that they that they don't always play nice in this way is kind of baffling to me. I mean, because mm -hmm. it, and I think it's actually some equivocation and. Uh, and and smokescreens being thrown up by Christians who are against libertarianism in this regard because they want to, you know, kind of escond away at times with the ability to muse politically about things because they want to, you know, often those, especially on the Christian right, want to, you know, give some intellectual cover for their political compatriots there. And so they try to use religion as a as kind of a bludgeon in that respect. And we're not going to do that. We don't want to use anything as a bludgeon to make people do what we want them to do. We only use persuasion. And that's and that should be the way of the Christian. That should be the way of the libertarian. I don't see how that doesn't work together anymore. So it's, <laughs> I, I think that's a great thing to kind of tease out here to realize that these sorts of things are where we really need to put our focus. Does a free society have limits? Does a free society have limits? Yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> Sometimes we're okay. We're chuckling because some of these questions were like, "Do we have to ask this?" Because you know there is a question there: who will build the roads? And mm -hmm. you know all the ones that we all libertarians say, like, oh, "Okay, yeah." Does a free society have limits? Well, yeah, it's a free society. That means everybody's free, not just you. And so your your freedom ends where you're harming me. I mean, we know the libertarian you know answer, but of course we have to spell that out for other Christians. 
And by the way, one of the reasons we wrote this book and sort of the primary driver was for Christian libertarians to have succinct answers mm -hmm. to these kinds of questions that we're sort of chuckling and wondering why we have to answer them all the time because <laughs> there's, you know, there's a number of ways to answer them. But, you know, it's just, it, it can get tiring, of course. And so, well, but what we want to say is to people who are like, oh, well, 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 what about this? And what about that? Are there limits? Because this is sort of the, it's tied to the all-encompassing worldview question. It's tied to the libertinism question because people have a sense of desire for there to be some sort of boundaries and order mm -hmm. within which they, in the world that they live in, right? So like the, the authority question is kind of wrapped up into that. People want to know, well, does that mean there's no authority? Well, no, that authority gets created through agreements and that, and, and that we live and those, those create the authority that we kind of agree to, you know, like in a sense uh, it's not quite this way as it would be with like a boss, but like Norman has authority over me because he's the president and I report <laughs> to him in our organization. But that was something we agreed into. I mean, there's no browbeating, you know, except on a Saturday night when we're arguing over things. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> there's, there's like, there's what those agreements KPIs, there. So dog? people want to ask this. Yeah, the KPIs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry, so, yeah. sorry. That's a bad, that's a bad joke. Was, yeah, yeah. Um, so... <laughs> The question, <laughs> the question is, you know, people want to know what the limits are. And I think it's part of the libertarian, you know, the onus on, is on us to sort of help them visualize what kind of world are we asking people to want to live in. And it does not mean chaos and the anarchy that is related to the word chaos, not the anarchy that we all yeah. are probably Your sitting Molotov in here. Cocktail in this room. guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they just, they just want to know that like, in a way, like, can I live in a world where I feel like I'm safe and can navigate a world where I'm not in danger or in threat? We're like, well, of course, don't tread on anyone is our mantra, right? Do you guys, have y'all thought or do you agree that there's similarities between the universalist instincts of Protestantism and progressivism? Ooh, you're getting, you're getting deep there, buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't uh, even say... <laughs> Repeat that question again. I, I'm like, I, wow. There's been, I've, I've just been listening to and reading on some interesting discussion about you can kind of, there's a very linear correlation between the history of progressivism and Protestantism. And it, yeah. there's very universalist instincts in both of them. Ah, okay. So the short answer, I think, is there is some connectivity there, but it tends to follow trends that are not purely linked with Protestantism. I can sometimes not say that word Same here. Well. Thank you. I'm yeah. so glad to find another person. Yeah. It's trying to be crazy. See you, Austinites. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's Austinites. Yeah, yes. so that's it. But, <laughs> uh, so, and, and part of the reason I would say that is that it doesn't appear, and why it's not consistent across the board is that we do see this as a trend as well in parts of Catholicism too, and Orthodox. Eastern Orthodox Christian. These are not exclusively related to Protestantism. Okay. So I would, so I think it's more important at that point to kind of look at certain bits and trends that kind of make their way into the theology and, and see how it kind of works its way out because it's just not intuitively obvious. I think at all that, that just being non-Catholic will result in this kind of leftist bent. There's a lot more that comes from, say, you know, the, the philosophies that have, you know, like from the, from the German historical school and how that made its way into America mm -hmm. sure. over time. 
and and then ideas from you know for obvious, well from those German the, those communist ideas that that ended up kind of trickling in and mm-hmm. now have kind of percolated through a lot of the university systems and whatnot, which is really really disturbing, of course. And that ended up making its way into theology in certain ways, that especially the German historical school and uh, and higher criticism that resulted from that. And there have been some positives. I think that we can kind of accept and realize that you know real important developments and in ways of thinking, even for theology, but for the, on the whole, not so great. And so it's a bit of a roundabout way of answering the question, but it's like, you're, you're asking a really big one there. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. But I think the, sh- like kind of the short, yeah. not exactly correlated. The long is that you, when you start looking at the actual, like the, the trends that kind of build up in that, I think those are coincidental. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier. Uh, it might've been you, Doug, about, there's one true high power, one true, you know, person, entity to worship, and it's not Caesar. It's Caesar's crossed out on your hat. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I want to ask you, this is something I don't believe I've asked anyone yet, but I thought, why not? These guys might have a good answer for this. The, ch- <laughs> the churches who obeyed the government during 2020 and closed their doors. Is that a sin? Hmm. Doug, are you going to take that? Yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta think about my answer, and oh. maybe that's telling. I don't know. Um, I, I'm gonna say it depends. I, that's such a that's such an yeah. easy answer. I know um, equivocation again. I, no equivocation. <laughs> <laughs> no, and and, and I think I think here's the thing: when when people want to know what should the church's response be to the government saying they should shut down, there are I, I'm of two minds here. Uh, one is um, for the church leader. Well, I should say it this way. The thing that should be present in every church leadership is prayerful activity as to like, well, what should we do? What is the Holy Spirit saying? What is God wanting them to do? And I think there are times where saying uh, to the government, no, we're going to do our thing is going to be the right answer. And I think sometimes uh, the answer could be something different. And I think every individual church is going to did come to different answers and to different conclusions, and it might be because of their particular circumstances. If you're a rural church in Idaho in March, April of 2020, and you're relatively able to do things that allow you to keep worshiping together in one building, it's going to be a very different answer than if you're a mega church in Houston or or wherever, where it you're going to be in tight quarters. Now, I'm obviously not answering the the question of like, what was the genuine threat and all of that. But I mean, the answer for me on that is that each church has to decide. I think it's probably a sin if all they did was say, well, government's telling us to we shut down. You know what? We're just going to shut down. I would say that the sin is not obeying the government per se, but not taking it upon yourself to actually ask yourself, well, what's really going on here? What is God asking us to do? And it what's could be for that our you, congregation. Yeah, yeah. What's best for our congregation and the health of the people. I mean, for crying out loud, if, if again, yeah. this is all circumstantial. And what I, what I want to say is like, well, if you're simply just following the government because they said that, and that's all the information you have and, and that's all you do, then yeah, it's, it's a big problem for me. You know, I'm not going to be the person to say you're, you're a sinner and here's how you're sinning in particular. But but yeah, I mean that's kind of the direction that I would go. 
I'm also very forgiving when it comes to like, I don't know, the first two to three weeks of this whole thing and people being like, well, mm -hmm. okay, let's just not meet for two weeks. But my goodness, after that, oh, we know more information. Oh, by July, we knew we didn't have to wipe everything down before we had people come in the building because that's not how it spreads or this or that, you know, sort of, or sort of thing. So I know a lot of churches that navigated this in a sort of up and down manner where they, they implemented social distancing, but not masks or masks only while you're close and, and, you know, whatever, like there's a handful of ways that you can navigate that. But the, the just follow the government is just because that's what, you know, St. Fauci said, then mm -hmm. is, you know, not the way to go. St. <laughs> Fauci. Mm -hmm. oh Norman, you got some thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it's very similar to Doug's right there is that it's, it's rather, you know, rather than just kind of a binary did they close or open per se? I think there's a there, there's a, a range of different responses that could be that were entirely valid. You know, I, I think it's if a church, for instance, was would be concerned because the government did say, like, if you you know, if you meet, we're going to arrest you and throw you all in prison. I think that you, your church would be, you know, maybe it's kind of an interesting question to be had and maybe, you know, debated amongst your uh, amongst your compatriots and be like, okay, you know, we're going to decide how we want to respond to this because we don't want, you know, Joel and, and, and Bill over here to get thrown in prison just because they wanted to go to church. I mean, there's, there's, a, there are a lot of practical concerns here that prudentially you might have to work through as a congregation, but just doing, you know, just put up and shut up because the government said so that would be a bit of <laughs> that. That's a, yeah. that's a bit of a hard, you know, road to hoe there. But I think, you know, a lot of churches really did, you know, take it upon themselves to consider carefully what they could do to remain open and offer services, offer uh, opportunities to worship in, in a host of ways that would that help people to work through the problem a little better than uh, than otherwise. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it was it was really tough for my family, for instance, because we have our own challenges with our children and and being involved in services was really really difficult you know especially as things were kind of ratcheted up on you know in the on the uh, case front and all that and just because of everything that was going on in the communities and everything yeah now it's a little easier we figured out alternative ways of working and on mm -hmm. this all out so now we're we're, bet, we're a bit more stable in that regard we're still have we still have our own difficulties and whatnot covid and not covid related in that respect for to church but at least now we're you know we're, we're more well, we're better off than we were. Yeah. Can I, can I add one more thing? I think yeah. one image that a lot of non-Christians have of Christians is that there's, you know, they have their lifestyle in a way and they have their beliefs, but that what defines them is that they go to church and congregate on Sundays. And that's, mm -hmm. that's fine. I mean, that's a, that's a perfectly fine image, but it's not all that Christians do. And one of yeah. the ways that Jesus says that people will know you is that you'll love one another and that you also serve the poor and that you also take care of those who are on the margins. And I don't know if the church had the reputation during COVID of looking for ways to help those who are in need. I mean, I know it happened because I know of, you know, individually, but the reputation, you know, of course the media is going to, the, the corporate press is going to paint that in, in, in the way that it's going to look as bad as possible. But I, you know, I would want Christians to have that reputation of going out and finding ways to help those who are on the margins rather than being known as just only disobeying the government or only, you know, 
doing these other things that somewhat seem to be self-serving. No, we just want to go to church on Sunday because, well, the government says we can't. I don't care what the government says. I mean, that's fine. You can still go to church, meet, all of that. But when that's what you're known for is only your own need to go to church on Sunday, that's very different from the reputation of going out and serving those who are actually in need. And I think that's where some people got a little turned off by some Christians is because it looked self-serving. Now, again, like I said, the media is going to paint it in that light. Sure, and I'm not saying course. that those, those individuals were self-serving. I'm just saying that it could look that way. Well, all right. Dang, this has gone by so quick. I look over and uh, <laughs> it's been much more time than I even I, I thought. So I think... We're still here. I know, right. We, <laughs> faith seeking freedom is I the I could do this all night, to quote let's, a famous hero. <laughs> let's, very nice. Let's let's talk about this book really quick. I think I was told that there's a promo code that uh, yeah. the listeners of this show can use. Talk about that, Doug. Yeah, so Buck, uh, I, I've been listening to your podcast for a little while, and I even listened to it before it was rebranded. So, um, Oh, boy. Um, I'm happy to uh, offer to your, to my fellow listener, whatever the listeners, people <laughs> who love your podcast, <laughs> people who listen like me on the audiobook uh, on libertarianchristians.com. Uh, if you use Counterflow as the coupon code at checkout uh, for just the audiobook, Faith Seeking Freedom, you'll get it half off. If you are an Audible subscriber, you can, of course, you know, use a credit to, to purchase the book. But if you download it straight from us, uh, actually, it supports our institute a little bit more, and also it's uh, I think a better price by by yeah. a bit. So, counterflow well, then, at checkout. And also, if you want a physical copy, we are running a uh, pretty consistently right now a two for twenty, uh, where if you just contribute twenty dollars to the organization, the Libertarian Christian Institute via our website, that we can send you a couple copies of the book at at uh, at I'll gratis at that point. So if you're if we would really hope that if uh, if you're our, our fellow Christians out there or listeners to the show, if you haven't heard of us before, come check us out at libertarianchristians.com and and we'd love to interact with you and uh, and and try to support you with knowledge and, and understanding and wisdom as best that we as best as we know how. Uh, we love to talk to our people and our fellow brothers and sisters. We're thankful for everybody who who interacts with us. And if you're willing to come and support us and be alongside us in helping us, then we would honor that and and continue to do what we do as best we can. Excellent. And how how often does that podcast drop? Not to mention it's on YouTube as well. How often does your podcast drop? Uh, We go every week. Once a week, just like this one. Yep. Perfect. All right. We have once a week. We also have a second podcast called Good News, Bad News, the roundtable. That's every other week. We we get together, do it on YouTube. But yeah. Excellent. All right. Norman Horn, Doug Stewart, the Libertarian Christian Institute representatives on the show here. Thank you guys so much for being here on Counterflow. Thanks, Buck. It's been awesome. Thanks, Buck. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Thank you.